All right. Rosa is next. Good morning, Rosa. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I wanted to ask you about ground cover. You keep saying it's ground cover instead of grass. Right. But I live out in the country, and I was wondering if I plant it around the house, will it be easier for the snakes to hide in there than in the grass? Well, probably so, but I tell you, the snakes are pretty good at hiding in grass as well, unless you keep that grass, you know, mowed down pretty low, um, and even then, you get a little snake, uh, you know, they'll hide out in the grass, but yes, I have to say that that is, uh, that is a possibility with ground covers. On the other hand, reptiles, including snakes, do not like the smell of cedar. And if you will periodically just put sort of a, you know, ground cedar or even spray your ground cover down with cedar oil, it's very unlikely that you'll have snakes in there. Now, recognize that at certain times of the year, certain snakes, it's hard to call it migrate, but certain snakes travel some distance. Some of the snakes that can be dangerous, like rattlesnakes, uh, the male rattlesnake will move out as much as 10 miles away from its winter den, and it moves out in the spring, moves back in the fall. So there's no guarantee that you won't occasionally see a snake, even a poisonous snake, just moving through. Um, but um, the ground covers, yes, it is possible. It certainly is uh, the case that you will not see them as easily if they're in there. But if you're spraying some cedar oil or something like that, to me, you know, it's not much worse than grass. I had a, about a four-foot rattlesnake right outside of my garden, oh. and I woke with my eyes wide open, and if I'm walking at night, I do it with a flashlight. And this thing was just down in the grass, and it was almost so disguised by the moderately tall grass that I felt very fortunate that I had seen it. And, um, uh, you know, I can go back a few years, uh, three or four years when I saw a coral snake moving through some ground cover. So it's, it, it doesn't take the place of being vigilant, but, uh, I would not let the possibility of snakes keep me from, uh, planting ground covers. And like I say, I just spray them down, you know, every two, three months mm -hmm. with some cedar oil. That's also going to keep chiggers away, keep mosquitoes away and do a lot of other good things. Well, that sounds good. Um, something else I was going to ask you in the garden. One time I had the spading fork, and when I went down real hard, all of a sudden I heard this screaming like a little baby, <gasps> and it scared me to death. And I don't know what it was. I thought, could it be frogs that have babies down underneath <laughs> the ground, or no. what was it? Uh, that's real hard to say. It could be mice. It could be black mantle rock squirrels it could be gosh it's it's hard to say frogs no uh they don't have necessarily babies that live underground now toads uh will burrow down into the soil and i guess it's possible that uh you know that you <laughs> that you could have put the squeeze on a on a toad oh. or something like that but uh um, uh, neither, you know, none of those things tend to have little babies. I have to say, if I encounter something below the surface of the soil, it's more often mice or something that I'm not real fond about having there to begin with. Well, it was sure was scary. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it sounds like it to me. I, that's not something that's ever happened to me. So that's a unique experience and you probably won't repeat it. I hope never. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Rosa. Get out and have a great okay. Sunday.
You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. All right. Cliff is up next, and it'll be Don. Good morning, Cliff. Hey, Bob. How you doing this morning? Uh, just a beautiful morning. Can't wait to get back out in it. I, I understand. I'm actually from North Texas. Uh, listen to your show on the well side outside of San Antonio. Well, I appreciate that very much. Where in North Texas? Uh, Denison up on the Red River. Oh, good old Sherman Denison area. My grandfather used to have a boat and a little boathouse up on Lake Texoma. So I've been through Sherman and Denison many, many times. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I have a couple of questions, but the first one is um, I'm doing some remodeling in my house. Uh-huh. And right there where the plumbing comes in and goes out is a bathroom. And I've, I've, I'm doing the teardown right now. And I've replaced window. I'm having to move some plumbing. Obviously, I'm, I'm causing holes in the walls and holes in the floor. And I got an infestation of large and small roaches. Okay. And I, I sealed everything and got rid of the large roaches. Uh-huh. And I have the small are still pretty much an infestation. Uh, we call them brown roaches where I'm from. Yeah. What do you suggest? I don't want to use chemicals, obviously. What sure. do you suggest? Maybe nematodes? What yeah. would be the, the good route? I'd use diatomaceous earth. Oh, okay. I have okay. to tell you, when my business partner built her home, we actually put DE in the wall cavities. When they sheetrocked one side, you know, we went through and put a, you know, just a, a line of DE in the wall cavities. And, um, of course, as long as DE stays dry, it stays active. It's totally harmless to you, totally harmless to pets. But okay. I'm knocking on wood for her. I don't recall ever having seen a roach in her house. She has far has had far fewer scorpions than anybody I know building out in the country. And okay. as long as it's dry, I mean, I live in a 100-year-old home uh, with pier and beam. But uh, in a place like that, you can put your DE underneath where it's going to stay dry and, you know, it'll be there 50 years from now because uh, DE is already several million years old, so it's not like it wears out or goes bad. And anywhere that you've got an insect with a hard shell, whether it is an ant, whether it is a flea, whether it is a roach, whether it is a beetle, um, DE is just a real cheap, easy, safe answer to your problems. Excellent. That's, that answers that question. Uh, one other question. Uh, this summer, I have, I have St. Augustine, uh, healthy, thick. But first time this summer, I started getting some bare bald spots. Okay. And I and I have an aeration system in my front yard, so it's constantly watered. Yeah. I checked for any kind of pest or uh, any kind of fungicide or whatever, and I didn't see anything. Any ideas? Um, I always worry about grub worms. Oh, okay. Is uh, one possibility. Do you have a big dog? Do you have a big dog? Uh, the the front yard is is uh, the dogs are in the back fence. Okay. So the the front yard is is open to and I do live on two creeks. Uh huh. And we do, and we do have grub worms. Yeah, that's uh, grubs are are certainly the most common cause of problems, and uh, I, I've seen worse grub worm damage the past two years than I've seen in the past okay. ten or fifteen years. So that's okay. my guess. Keep an eye out for the June bugs. When you see the June bugs, put out your beneficial nematodes and it won't be a problem okay. in the future. Well Bob, you've been excellent. You answered all my questions. And you get back up there. Am I remembering right? Birth birthplace of Dwight Eisenhower? Sure is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well you're in a good part of the state and you listen to Howard Garrett up there when you can't pick up me. And uh always good to talk to you, Cliff. Thank you so much. You have a good day, partner. You too. All right. Bye bye. 
All right, let's get back to gardening. We're going to talk to Don and then to Francis. A couple of open lines. Grab one if you've been getting a busy signal. Now's the time to call 210-599-5555. Good morning, Don. Good morning to you, Bob. How you doing? Uh, it's just a beautiful morning out there, even if a little chilly. Oh, yeah, it is so wonderful just to be able to breathe the goodness up there. <laughs> as you've heard me say, as a friend of mine says, it's better to be seen than to be viewed. <laughs> well, I got a little quick one for you here. Um, I'm dealing with some uh, Bermuda growing in my, in the middle of my St. Augustine in a couple of areas, and I want to know when is the best time to attack it and how can I attack it? How can I get rid of it? I need some points. Well, St. Augustine is a lot stronger than grass, than lot stronger grass than Bermuda if it has plenty of uh, light, plenty of water, plenty of fertilizer. Uh, the Bermuda got a little bit ahead of the St. Augustine this past year through the spring and summer because it was so dry. But if you want uh, if you want to get rid of your Bermuda, just uh, maybe a little extra fertilizer, be sure you're watering your St. Augustine thoroughly uh, at least once a week during the warm months, about once every two or three weeks during the winter months. That and regular mowing and your St. Augustine will choke your Bermuda out. You're going to go through a lot of trouble and not much success if you try to kill it with herbicides and things like that. But St. Augustine will dominate your Bermuda unless it's either too dry or, um, well, basically, if it's too dry or if it's low on nutrients. You water, you fertilize, St. Augustine does the rest of it. Okay, then that sounds great. How about that um, monogalite? Is that pretty good uh, fertilizer for it? Uh, just, you know, any good organic fertilizer, Medina, Maestro Grow, uh, Nature's Creation, Ladybug, uh, Espoma, any of those uh, fertilizers, just use them. Recommendation on the bag. Typically, they'll come in a 40-pound bag that does about 4,000 square feet. The other nice thing about the organic fertilizers is they do not have to be watered in. They can be used wet or dry, warm or cold. They're great to apply 365 days a year. Just uh, I'd do it about four times a year if I was fighting Bermuda trying to get rid of it. Okay, then sounds great. I sure do thank you for your service, and you just have a wonderful, wonderful day. And you do the same, Don. Nice to hear from you. Thank you, sir. All right. Top of the board now is Francis, and then it'll be Curtis. Good morning, Francis. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well. I hope you're doing as well as well. Oh, yes, sir. Enjoying the weather. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I have two questions. I heard you're talking about dimetaceous earth, and I do put it on my door jams because Mm -hmm. I live on three acres, and we have a lot of a lot of scorpions. Uh, <laughs> I know the feeling. I know, I know. So, and I'm bringing some of my plants in because it's it it was freezing. Sure. Can I put diatomaceous earth inside the pots? Just Di- diatomaceous earth is perfect in the pots. Um, it will work to get rid of centipedes, millipedes. It'll get rid of ants. It'll get rid of beetles. It'll get rid of any hard-shelled insects. So I highly recommend it. Uh, do remember that diatomaceous earth stops working when it gets wet. Now, when it really dries out, it will go back to being very effective. But, uh, um, yeah, I would I would dust the soil in your plants you're bringing in pretty heavily with diatomaceous earth. But then I would try to avoid watering for at least two or three days if possible, oh, okay. just so it'll have time to do its work against the oh, uh, the things. Uh, the creatures, uh, fleas, ants, whatever, that have a hard shell, we call it an exoskeleton. The way the diatomaceous earth works is it gets down in their joints and it just starts cutting. 
And that kind of insect doesn't have blood vessels, doesn't have the circulatory system that higher animals do. Uh, it simply is what's called a hemoseal. And when you start cutting the outer edges, uh, the insects tend to dehydrate and die. So um, you just sprinkle it out when they walk through it. That's the last trip they will ever make. What it is, and to help you remember the name a little easier, uh, mm-hmm. maybe you remember like I do, Biology 1, we looked, we studied symmetry with something called diatoms, and uh-huh. that's what diatomaceous earth is, is just the leftover exoskeleton and pieces of all those diatoms that we studied in school. So uh, it's great stuff. You do not want the diatomaceous earth that goes into swimming pool filters. That stuff's been heat treated, oh, and that mm-hmm. keeps it from working, but just doesn't have to say anything special some of it will say food grade it does not have to say food grade but mm-hmm. it's uh, mm-hmm. uh it's not harmful if you breathe it you see a lot of warnings on there the swimming pool stuff is harmful if you breathe it so i think de is just one of the best natural substances we have now unfortunately it doesn't do soft bodied creatures like caterpillars and uh oh, cutworms right. and things because it doesn't have that you know it doesn't cut the same way but boy something with a hard shell centipede millipede pill bug uh roaches anything like that it sure does work well on <laughs> all the yeah scorpions all those all those other little creatures we come to uh, to love exactly you know um i saw a there's i i have a few spiders and what i try to do is throw them outside but uh-huh. i saw a, a red about a two-inch spider in my house i have never seen a red it was a bright red spider mm-hmm I looked it up, but I couldn't find it. And someone told me that those are probably the most poisonous spiders. No, no, they're not. No? No. Oh, okay. No, realize that every spider in the world has mm-hmm. some venom. Uh, it, I mean, it has something that it uses to uh, immobilize its prey. It actually starts the, the digestion process. But the only two spiders that that we have in our country um, I mean, you go to Australia or some of those places where they got some nasty spiders down there and lots of them. But um, in our in Texas and in, in the United States, we only have two spiders that are dangerously poisonous. One of them is a black widow, which, of course, causes uh, nerve problems. Uh, mainly you stop breathing if you don't get the proper treatment. Uh, and then this nasty little spider, you know, it's botani- or its uh, scientific name is Loxosceles. We call it a brown recluse spider. Oh, yeah. And it just causes the tissue to rot away. Um, and it's a nasty creature, too. You can stop the damage in that case with just a comfrey. Works better than anything the doctors can do for you. But um, uh, those are the only two spiders that are dangerously poisonous. Now, it is true that every spider... Um, you know, has has some venom, but uh, mm-hmm. might cause a little itch, might cause a little welt, but uh, mm-hmm. it's it's nothing to go running to the emergency room. Gotcha. It's just the the subject of mythology, so to speak. I had somebody tell mm-hmm. me the other day, you know, those daddy long legs are deadly poisonous, and I said, <laughs> well, number one, a daddy long legs is not even a spider, and number two, <laughs> it has no poison and no way to bite you oh, if it wanted to. So. Oh. Be very cautious when people start talking to you about spiders, because chances are they don't know what the heck they're talking about. Oh, good, good, good. Well, is it okay? I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I try not to kill them because I hear that they're good for other little bugs. So I oh, don't yeah. Know them I, I'm like you. I'd get them in the dustpan and fling them out the door. Oh, yes, 
And uh, the ones I hate most are not dangerous ones. It's those blasted little ones that get up in my 14-foot ceilings and love to make webs and, oh. you know, all those little cobwebs and things. And yeah. sometimes yeah. Uh, they get the nozzle of the vacuum cleaner instead of the broom. But <laughs> <laughs> And then I throw, I throw them outside. One yeah. last question. Yeah. Back to that uh, DT. Right. Uh, can, I, can I put that in my closet uh, where I keep my shoes? Because I'm always... Uh, shaking my shoes out just in case will it like in the back wall will that can that be that be okay as well that won't hurt a thing now the one here's one bad thing about the de and that is uh your vacuum cleaner doesn't like it um so if you have put it out in an area like your closet and you later decide you need to sweep in there sweep it up rather than vacuum it up but uh, I, I, it's, it's inert, basically. I mean, where we get uh, the diatomaceous earth is, you know, the, the diatoms lived and died for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. And their little exoskeleton piled up on the bottom of lakes and in some cases, bottom of oceans. And then they just they go in and they literally mine it out. They dig it out. So it's inert. It's not going to stain. It's not going to cause mm-hmm. any problems at all. I guess it mm-hmm. might make you a little itch a little if you got it in your underwear, which mm-hmm. I would not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I say jokingly, but no, it's uh, you put it anywhere okay. that you think good. it might do some good for you, Francis, and don't worry about it. Okay, and also I can put like a little piece of foil too, like you do for the roaches too. Like of course, a piece of foil. Okay, of good, course. good. Okay, thank you so much for all the the the, the course, the study. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I, the I old teacher in me just can't help. I rarely say yes or no. In fact, my business partner used to tease me many years ago. My old friend Alton Grimm would sit in for me when I was out of town, and she'd mm-hmm. say, uh, Roberta would tell me, she said, you know, somebody asked you a question, and you say blah 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 blah. They ask Alton the same question, and he says, yes. <laughs> so anyway, that's what you get if you call me. I always enjoy talking Thank to you. You, you have Thank a good you. Sunday. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Curtis is up next, then it'll be Betty. Good morning, Curtis. Uh, good morning, Bob. How you doing? Great. Thank you. How about you? Uh, uh, fine. I I got a question here. I bought a house out in the country, and it's got about an acre of uh, sandy soil around it. Okay. And right now, the only thing that grows on it is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, stickerbirds and gophers. And I'm <laughs> kind of, I'm kind of uh, thinking about maybe getting some coastal seeds and spreading out there. Will that work or that grow good? Well, so first of all, coastal seeds? coastal doesn't come from seed. Uh, only way uh, you plant coastal Bermuda is from sprigs of actual actual uh, growing Bermuda grass. There is no seed for coastal Bermuda. There are some uh-huh. Tifton Bermudas, which are bigger, you know, Bermudas that um, you know that will make a forage grass. But if you're going to plant coastal, you plant it for sp- from sprigs, and then you pay for pray for rain. Um, there are, you know, in in answer to your question, uh, coastal, if it's not overgrazed, will choke out um, sticker burrs. Uh, sticker right. burrs are an annual grass. They are totally dead now that you've had some frost. No, they're not going to come back from the existing plants. They're only going to come back from seeds. So anything that grows, and sticker burrs are one of the weakest plants. They're just something Mother Nature sends in to keep the soil from washing away. So 
any kind of good grass will reduce your sticker burr problems. And, uh, I mean, uh, coastal is certainly widely grown as a forage for cattle and horses, and it's really pretty crappy feed as far as nutrients, but it's certainly durable, it's drought-tolerant once it gets established. And from, you know, the fact that we are supposedly in an El Nino weather pattern means we're supposed to have more rain, and that would be a good thing for getting coastal established right now. But uh, that's just one of many choices. You could go to Douglas King Seed, and you could get actually a seed blend of native grasses that would be a lot easier to plant and a lot less expensive. And uh, the, the secret to getting rid of the, of the sticker burrs is just planting something that's going to out-compete them. And just about any good native grass will do that as long as you don't overgraze it. I mean, if you're going to have a horse, uh, you need to divide that acre or how many acres you have into little paddocks and move them around from one to the other because sticker burrs are a problem in overgrazed land and overtilled land. I used to grow and bale uh, Sudan for my cattle until I got too busy to do that. And I mean, the areas that I plowed and planted Sudan, the grass burrs were so bad you couldn't even walk into that field. When I stopped growing the Sudan, I simply put out... Uh, uh, again, some of that native grass seed from Douglas King, and within two years, I could hardly find a sticker burr. Okay, but this, uh, what is a good native grass that would make a, a nice lawn? I mean, around the home here. Well, if you're looking for a grass that you could actually grow as a lawn, um, I probably would go with one of the lower-growing uh, Bermudas. There's one called blackjack that uh, you can plant from seed. Now, you're not going to plant this until May or so. Bermuda seed has to have hot weather to sprout. But uh, blackjack Bermuda would be would make a nice lawn grass, and yet it's uh, good and tough and will choke out the sticker burrs. If you wanted a, you know, a really pretty grass that you never had to mow that looked real good, uh, Douglas King makes a seed mix that actually was developed up to the Wildflower Research Center. They call Habiturf, H-A-B-I-T-U-R-F. That's what they planted at the Bush Library up in Dallas, among other places. And uh, that is actually a blend of three native seeds. And it makes a nice, I mean, you're not going to mow it down and, and make a perfect lawn out of it, but it's going to look nice all the time, require very little mowing, be very drought-resistant, and be thick enough to uh, to choke out your sticker burrs. And these, and you can just broadcast seeds out? And, and well, it depends on the type of seed. Bermuda seed, you can just broadcast it in once the weather gets truly warm. case of the Habiturf, it would be good to uh, uh, go over it real lightly with a disc carrier or something like that. It would like to be worked in very slightly into the ground to get the best results with that particular grass. Um, it, it just really depends on, on the type of grass you're planting. Many native grasses are going to get a little bit taller um, than what you're really thinking of uh, you know for a for a real lawn grass that's why i say if you if you really want to manicure it like a yard i'd be looking at blackjack bermuda or something like that that could be planted from seed since you have that much land to do if it's just a small area i'd tell you to go out and buy a pallet or two of uh of uh, tiff bermuda or something like that but if you've got an acre to do you don't want to spend the money to do that or the water to try to maintain that yeah. Okay. So that's uh, uh, blackjack Bermuda then. From yeah. Seed to yeah. But choice. you're you're going to be it's going to be April or May before you plant it. 
Uh, if you want to oh, check sure. it out, you can go uh, DK is in Douglas King. You can go to their website at dkseeds.com. Uh, you can call them Monday through Friday, and they'll even ship the seed to your door. You don't even have to drive into San Antonio to pick it up if you don't want to. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds like a good deal, Bob. I'll, I'll, I'll wait till I guess, what, April? <laughs> yeah, April. yeah. Talk to uh, Dean or whoever over at Douglas King. You know, get your seat a little earlier than that just so you have it on hand in case they run low or anything. But uh, once the weather, the nighttime temperatures especially, are truly warm, that's when uh, you can plant Bermuda and it will sprout and grow. Now, I will tell you, if we do get into a drier period, in fact, uh, getting it established, you're probably going to have to do some supplemental watering. Don't do the whole area all at one time. What I tell people to do is pick the size of area you can water. Maybe it's 50 by 50. Get your grass up and growing in that. Then move to the next 50 by 50 area and just work your way around the yard till you get it all planted and growing. But if you go out and plant an acre of seed, you're going to have a heck of a time trying to keep it all watered at one time. Oh, yeah. I'm aware of that. Yes, sir. I'm aware of that. Okay, well, I appreciate your help, Bob. Always a pleasure. Appreciate the call, Curtis, and good luck with your new project, and congratulations on your new place. Thank you. Okay, it's going to be Betty and Jill, and uh, actually Betty and Anna and Jill in that order, and Betty's up first. Good morning, Betty. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a question. I have wandering jew which is taking over a whole flower bed okay and i would like to get rid of it right now it's pretty much frozen back Uh uh-huh um this is not the time of year that it's going to be easy to get rid of because you know it's got underground stems it's got roots it can sprout back is this a big old purple one uh the secracia yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) it's pretty tough if you want to feel like you're getting rid of it at this time of year it's pretty much going to be getting in there with a grubbing hoe Um, it's underground shoots and runners or maybe two inches below the surface of the ground so with a little effort with a little digging you you can get rid of it the other option is wait until the weather's pretty hot and simply cover that area with a uh, piece of either black plastic or clear plastic, and it will heat up underneath that, kind of like a car closed up on a hot parking lot. And you'll you'll literally, it's called solarizing, and you can get rid of it that way. But for right now, in fact, just about any time, you almost have to dig it out. Uh, the vinegar orange oil spray that you put on the foliage will burn it back. If you would do that religiously about once every three weeks for a couple of months in the summer, you would kill it out that way. But uh, right now... And what was that, what was that called again? Uh, it's You make a mixture of uh, a product called orange oil or delimonene. It's something that's totally safe. It's actually squeezed out of the peel of citrus and lots of different uses. But mix that at the rate of two ounces to a gallon of water. It works just like some of the nasty stuff like Roundup, but much more safely. But the okay. the thing about this this particular form of the wandering Jew you're talking about, as you may have noticed, it tends to have sort of a waxy coating on the upper leaf. It tends to have almost a fuzzy coating on the back of the leaf, and it's real hard to get anything to stick to it to where it will really burn it and kill it as a spray. Um, best solution is a nice, strong young man in the family with a grub and hoe and a little <laughs> bit of patience. And you'll get, you can actually, you'll dig out about 95% of it when it tries to sprout out. You can dig out the last 5% of it. Uh, I wish I could give you a simpler solution, but there's okay. no, there's no spray That's it and okay. get rid of it. I'll just, 
I'll just wait until spring. I didn't realize you could just put, you know, some kind of black sheeting or something. Yeah, either that or cl- black or clear. You know, you know exactly what your car gets to if you leave it out in the sun and all closed up. That's right. what your plastic does. It's called solarizing, and it will it will literally sterilize the area. You're not gonna you're not gonna harm your microbes and your earthworms and things like that. They're gonna move out, but you're literally gonna parboil the wandering shoe and get rid of it. Okay, and then I want to just put sod over it. Uh huh. I want to just get rid of that flower bed. So after I've done that and it's all killed or whatever, then could I just put the sod in without? Well, you may be making it a whole lot easier. What kind of sod are you planning to put down? Carpet grass. or St. Augustine? Augustine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then in that case, I'm going to totally back up. Get it down, I mean, mow it down, shave it down low to the ground, put your St. Augustine on top of it, and start mowing. That will kill out the wandering chew. We we can throw out all that hard work. Uh, St. Augustine will choke it out if you mow regularly, and that's all I'd worry about doing. Okay, and when when would I be able to do that? Do I have to wait till spring? You have to wait till Doctor Kirby shows over. Um, okay. <laughs> you, if you can find good grass, you can do it any time. Uh, it's a little harder sometimes to find uh, grass at this time of the year, but if you find some good Saint Augustine grass, you can plant it this afternoon. Well, fantastic. I guess I have a grandson who now has a new job to do for me. <laughs> and a lot easier. Just just remember, tell them green side up. That's that's the problem okay. we have to deal with some of these guys. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Betty. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay. Top of the board is Anna. Good morning, Anna. Hey. Hi, Bob. Well, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Facing, facing a little colder weather than we are, but we think it's cold down here, but you just laugh. You're probably running around in shorts and a T-shirt when it's only freezing. Yeah, right, right, yeah. No, it's 26 uh, degrees with an 18-degree chill. Yeah, yeah, thank goodness you're up there and we're down here. Yeah, uh, well, uh, there's a lot less people up here. <laughs> now you know why. Now I know why, yeah. Well, what can I do for you today? Well, got a couple of things for you. My first thing what's going to be a comment for a caller that you spoke to i think last week or two weeks ago or something it was a lady i think her name was trudy talking about a tuscarora uh, crepe myrtle right and i had one of those when i was in san antonio and i absolutely loved it and the fragrance was unbelievable you know i didn't realize that it was that fragrant it's certainly a pretty flower and certainly a hearty variety but uh you're telling me something i didn't know about tuscarora glad to learn that I guess so, too, because I, I stopped and talked to one of the Fanuc brothers uh, before I left to ask them if there were some other crepe myrtles that had a fragrance as nice as that one, and they told me the same thing. They didn't know they had a fragrance. <laughs> you just bring out the best in your flowers. What can I say? You know, I don't know. Besides being beautiful, it was just a, a lovely fragrance. Excellent. But, um, speaking of fragrances, um, occasionally I'll get sweet potatoes from the store and they can be organic and sometimes not and occasionally i'll get one that has this really obnoxious flavor and fragrance to it and i haven't figured out what it might be but it renders them inedible so i thought i'll just grow my own okay and it happens occasionally also to my sweet potatoes and do you have any idea what causes that well there are various little 
uh, soil-dwelling creatures that will sometimes actually burrow into the potato. What you're, what you're describing, if it's a sweet potato you're buying, I'd tell you it's been in storage for too long. If it's something that's coming out of your garden, I think if you look very carefully, you'd find some little pinholes in there, maybe wireworms or something like that, chewing tiny little spots in there that are hardly noticeable, but you've simply got an area of uh, that sweet potato that's deteriorating and uh, um, causing some issues. Okay, okay. Yeah, because it's, it's horrible, horrible. Oh, yeah. Smell it as you're starting to cut it, but the mm. potato looks looks fine. I'll have to look for the little. Well, potato. and people are going to see a whole lot more of that in the regular white potatoes as well as the sweet potatoes because the latest stupid blunder, in my opinion, in genetic modification is this new. They're calling it a um, oh gosh, what are they calling it? A, a white. Um, I'll have to think for a moment, but it's a genetically modified potato that doesn't turn brown when it gets bruised or cut. And so you're going to be able to get rotten potatoes and they're not going to look rotten and they may be full of damaging bacteria and things like that. And um, so uh, continue to do as I know you do. Continue to buy organic when it comes to potatoes because this uh, they've done a, a, an apple that way, too, and it's just one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. It may may make it look prettier, but they're actually, uh, the smart people are actually a little concerned about some of the digestive upsets that may come from uh, literally getting rotten potatoes that don't look like it. So that's my little soapbox for the day on the uh, latest of the, uh, of the blunders in genetic modification. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. uh, one other thing is... Since it gets so cold here in the wintertime and my compost pile just becomes a solid block of ice, I'm, I'm debating doing a little bit of worm composting in the ba- basement and let sure. them digest it. Do you yeah. have any advice for me on that? Well, um, get a good, the proper bin. The way that uh, vermiculture uh, worm composting is done is you literally have your worm bed supported over hardware cloth and you literally just go through and shave some off the bottom periodically to get your castings, to get your worm compost, as it were. Um, I would get a good worm bed. I would... um, you know, seek the advice of some other people in the area that are doing the same thing. They can probably tell you what kind of uh, uh, worms will work best for you north of the Mason-Dixon line. And uh, but but vermiculture is you know is a very real and real good way. And uh, you don't have to keep it super warm or anything; just keep it above freezing. But that is a great source. There are very few things that will do will create better soil than uh, good worm castings. Huh. I I found a. A video online from <clears throat> a lady that does worm composting in North Carolina, uh-huh. and she's been doing it for the last eighteen years. But you know, it's a different climate too. Sure. But she said that you could buy regular composted, you know, vegetable matter for mm-hmm. about thirty-five dollars a cube, cubic yard, and she said you can sell this worm composted stuff for about two hundred. <laughs> Well, if you value your time, you're going to find that you're not getting paid a very high hourly wage. Yes, worm castings are expensive, but it's also a lot of work to produce. And if you have a good working relationship with uh, 
just about any grocery store or places like that, you can get a lot of vegetable material to put into that worm bin without having to pay $35 a cubic yard for it. It's, it's, a, great, uh, it's a great thing to do. If you get interested in worms, um, get a, uh, a vid- not a video, but an audio book, um, whatever form you download or whatever, but it's called The Earth Moved, M-O-V-E-D, by a lady named Amy Stewart, and you will learn more in four hours of listening about earthworms than you ever wanted to know. It's one of those interesting things I've listened to recently. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll look that up because I am interested. Okay, very good. Nice to hear your voice. Merry Christmas to you and all yours, and if we don't talk to you before then. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Goodbye. All right, lines are full once again. We're going to talk to Jill and Alice and uh, Jill, Alice, Ed, and Mike. And Jill's up first. Good morning, Jill. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thanks morning. for taking my call. Thank uh, you for calling. I, yes, uh, I had several questions. Uh, last year, well, back in February, I bought a Satsuma Frost and put it in. It was in a five-gallon pot, put it in about a 10-gallon just on my patio and uh, it survived except for one woolly caterpillar that met an untimely death this summer. <laughs> and I got about six six, uh, six fruit off of it. And I'm just, I just love those. I've never had a Satsuma. And they're so sweet and uh-huh. seedless. And well, they're I, what we've I, always I, called I, tangerines. Uh, I don't know why we started calling them Satsumas. But if you had tangerines, that's basically what you're eating. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to get another tree or two, but is it possible now to put this tree back in the ground so it would have more room to grow? Um, where are you located? I'm in Seguin. Oh, yeah. You can grow, you can grow uh, orange frost in Seguin just fine. Okay. If you're looking for other similar ones, uh, some of them are a little flatter, some of them are a little rounder, uh, but there's mm-hmm. one called Seto, S-E-T-O. There's one called Miho, M-I-H-O. There's one called Kimbro, K-I-M-B-R-O-U-G-H. There, there are a bunch of different good Satsumas. Uh, Orange Frost is the one that the Extension Service was promoting so highly. But uh, there's some other good ones out there. One I would, uh, you know, the original Satsuma, and, and give me just a minute to think of the name, but the one that was seed-grown that old Malcolm Beck uh, got a lot of people started on uh, can be very, very full of seeds. But uh, your Orange Frost, your Sito, your Miho, your Kimbro, these are all low on seed and high on flavor. Changsha was the original one I was trying to think of that is full of seeds. But it's it's one that you can grow from seed. It's a super hardy variety. But quite frankly, I'd I'd stick with the ones that you're growing. Yeah, okay. And do they need, since it's in a pot on my patio and it's pretty close to my Meyer lemon, which loves it because I have a south-facing patio. It's a covered uh-huh. patio, but they get enough sun. Does it have to be watered as much as that lemon, especially in the summer? In the it, pots? It, we have a very, yes, it's in pots yeah. now, but once it gets in the ground, can it survive a little bit longer between watering? Oh, absolutely. Any plant can okay. because it's got its roots spread further out. But, uh, okay. I mean, if you were willing to put a good cover over your Myers lemon, you could put it in the ground. But the the difference is that your, uh, your Satsumas are... Uh, able to take the cold without any protection unless we really get cold down in the teens or something like that i'd still cover mm-hmm. it but you know most winters that's not an issue right right but now the freeze we had a month or so ago i still had sunlight tomatoes in my raised garden bed mm-hmm. i don't have a big bed anymore because just physical limitations sure and they were loaded with tomatoes but i had them covered 
everything, and I lost them, and it just made me sick. But yeah. it's in a raised bed. Can I go ahead and plant the same variety next year? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. No problem at all. But, yeah, this, uh, this freeze came when – following a long period of rain where things put on a lot of very lush growth and then things that normally would not have been hurt at all froze things that we covered froze just because they were so sensitive and uh just a bad year for you know bad fall for tomatoes but wait till next year yeah yeah that's all you can do so. right oh no my, no my Meyer lemon comes inside every time it's going to get below freezing for an extended period very of time. good it really gets cold out here because it's so flat and yeah. everything so it's just it's just you know I don't I don't want to lose it because I have so much fruit on that tree right now. So right. If it would only freeze the Bermuda, I would be happy. So, but. <laughs> that'll happen. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. So, but that's all my questions. I just wanted to check about the Satsuma and everything and see if I could move that safely into the into the backyard now. Yeah, so, and and it'll yeah, be even so. hardier and it'll be a lot less water demanding for you uh, once you get it in the ground so just be sure it gets okay. good bright sunlight and things are just going to get better and better for you jill you'll be looking for people to give uh, to share all your uh, fruit with <laughs> and how far apart if i whenever i, I want to get another one how far apart do they have to be when i mm, plant them ideally 12 15 feet oh yeah i have a half acre so okay okay that sounds good okay, you get your grove Bob. going and uh get ready to set up that roadside stand people be oh, clamoring to your door <laughs> hey have I a great sunday and uh have a good holiday season